So this morning we start a new series in the book of Nehemiah, the Old Testament story of Nehemiah. I think it's important for us to remember as, as we get in this study, especially having come from the New Testament, is that we look at these Old Testament narratives, these Old Testament stories, differently than we may look at other books. Right? This comes from the Old Testament, the Old Covenant that God had with his people Israel. So we have to remember that this is a story. This is history. Too many times we, it's spiritual history. It's a spiritual story. We need to be careful not to read too far into the story and, try, and maybe dig a little too hard for some sort of application as it relates to us today because it is so far off in time and in culture. But one thing that stays the same is our God. And the reason for these stories are to remind us or to show us how God has moved and worked through his people, kept his promises to his people all throughout history. So this is, this is history. It's a spiritual history. As Christians, this is our spiritual history. Gordon Fee wrote a book called How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth. It's a great book. It's a small book, but it's a textbook for a lot of college Bible courses. And he breaks up different, different sections of the Bible and just gives us a fresh perspective on how to read the Bible appropriately. When talking about Old Testament narrative, Gordon Fee explains it like this. The story they tell, the story that the narratives tell, is not so much our story as it is God's story. And it becomes ours as he writes us into it. So as we're reading this story, let's look for how God moved through his people and then also search in ways that we can relate to the story of Nehemiah. Also remember that this is Hebrew literature and it was mainly passed on through, um, through it was verbally. So sharing this story and telling this story. And there's Hebrew writing style as, as far as some things that you can pick up on, sometimes repetition or sort of character development is different than what we may seem, see in movies as well. You'll notice that as people are described, they're usually not described um, visually. Like we can't get a really solid image of what this person looks like, but we can learn this person's passion. Normally when introducing a character, it speaks into the heart of the person or, or it will tell about the person's stature. It's a reminder that God wants to share their heart with us. God's all about the heart. Hebrew literature is also more often than not written as a set of scenes. There usually aren't a ton of characters in each scene. But with every chapter, we'll get a different scene which moves the plot of the narrative along. So this morning, we start with chapter one. Scene one the story of Nehemiah. I'd like to read that together now. Let's stand as we read the word of God this morning. So here we go, the story of Nehemiah. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. 
They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and I wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, this is Nehemiah's prayer, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant. Is pr- hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, if you are faithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I've chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this, your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was a cupbearer to the king. You may be seated. When I read that opening chapter, that opening scene. I can't help but dramatize it. I love that last line. You have to think that as this story is being shared, the story of Nehemiah, this opening scene, there's plenty at the beginning of the chapter who explains who Nehemiah is, what he's asking of, why he's responding this way in prayer. But I love that at the very end, He leaves for the very end. I was a cupbearer to the king. You know, sometimes in our home or as between my boys, you know, if something pops up, if some uh, great truth is sort of laid out there, if someone gets caught in something, one of the boys from like the peanut gallery will chime in, dun, dun, dun. I have to think that as we read through this opening, we hear the passion and the agony of Nehemiah's prayer. You can kind of feel the tension soaking with passion. At the very end, he says, as we're listening to this, this narrative, right, we start thinking like, man, this guy's really feeling it. Who is this guy? What is he about to do? Why is he asking for favor? Why this plea before God for favor? He says, I was a cupbearer to the king. End scene, Right? I mean, if that doesn't, we've been getting into thrillers with our boys, watching TV dramas, stuff like that, political dramas even. And, you know, the way that they're written, it's like you can't help but start the next one. In fact, Netflix usually starts it for you, right? If you sit there long enough, which is horrible, but they figured it out. But when we read this scene, right, that end scene there, you can't help but flip the page. And what is he about to do? What, what, is, what is he about to step into? 
God's brought him to this, this threshold, maybe, where Nehemiah knows that something's about to come. God's shared his vision with Nehemiah. God shares his heartache with Nehemiah. We know Nehemiah was a person of importance, being the cupbearer of the king. He served as trusted counsel to Artaxerxes, king of Persia, and his winter palace in Susa, it says, the citadel. That was southwestern Iran. And this story takes place around mid-5th century B.C., so 450 B.C. or so. This is history. This is God working through history. Clearly, Nehemiah was a praying man. When verse, the, the first and four verses, we can, we can feel the anguish that Nehemiah is feeling for God's people. I've defined prayer before, or we thought of prayer before as an alignment of wills, wanting to align our will with God's will. And as we do that, God shares his heart with us and those things that break God's heart and concern God's heart, he shares them with us. This is where Nehemiah was at. Broken city, broken walls, broken people, discouraged people. This is where disgraced. So Nehemiah is sharing that. Nehemiah's prayer life was so in tune with God that he mourned over the state of Jerusalem. It says he prayed and fasted for days, nights, fasting, giving up a meal. I mean, that was, giving up a meal was like giving up two hours of social time in those days. There was a lot uh, that happened during mealtime. So Nehemiah giving this over to God, praying and fasting. He's tuning into God's heart. Because he knows what God would have him do, right? That same heartache. When he hears that news from his brother, the weight of that heartache just falls over him. He mourns, he prays, he fasts. David Wilkerson, an old pastor of Times Square Church in New York City, has a sermon called A Call to Anguish where he teaches and he preaches on Nehemiah 1. It's, it's a... It's an amazing sermon that I go to at least a dozen times a year. Especially if you can hear him preach it. He gets a little fire and brimstone towards the middle, so he kind of loses me there. But when he talks about Nehemiah's passion and he explains this, there's a quote in there that I love. It says, all true passion is born out of anguish. All true passion for Christ comes out of a baptism of anguish, deep sorrow, deep pain. Wilkerson says it's so much more than just concern. Agony, anguish. We can feel that in Nehemiah's prayer. That's what grips us as we hear the story, right? That's what draws us in. Fast forward almost 500 years later. We see another man, hours before being crucified, crying out to God through the night, sweat and blood dripping from his hands as he clenches them in prayer. Luke twenty-two forty-four says, in being in anguish, Jesus prayed more earnestly and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. 
He was praying, take this cup from me. Old Testament is story, it's narrative, but there's a meta-narrative that happens as well. As much as we can read these stories and glean from these stories, and in a moment we'll glean from Nehemiah's prayer life, we also understand that there's what's called redemptive history, and these are stories that all strung together lead to this moment where Jesus prays, leads towards the coming of our King. All of the Old Testament builds up to that one point in history where Jesus comes, he establishes his kingdom here on earth, and that's where we find ourselves, right? That's what we've learned. We're in the already, but the not yet. So here we are, God's kingdom established here on earth. That same anguish, that same prayer, that same alignment of wills, that same alignment of hearts, Jesus was feeling that deep sorrow, that deep pain in those moments. Nehemiah was feeling that deep sorrow, that deep pain for the state of Jerusalem. Not just the walls, but the people of Jerusalem. So these narratives point us to Christ. These narratives stand alone. Like I said, there's, we, don't, we want to be sure we're not reading too far into these stories and that we're, t- we're reading out of them, that we're taking them for what they're worth, which is a, a, a story of God moving through his people. But I think that there are some things that we can glean as a church from Nehemiah's prayer. I find it fascinating that over the past few series that God has led our church to be able to study the prayers of his people. Studying Paul's prayer for the church in Ephesus small series in the Lord's Prayer that we did over the summer. Now here we are starting off Nehemiah. And where does it start? With a prayer. We've been saying God's up to something here at CCC through the season. And what he's up to is rooted in prayer. Appropriately rooted in prayer. So I love how God keeps drawing us back to these stories where we get to look into the prayer life of his people. And I think that we as a church can glean a few things from Nehemiah's prayer. We can learn the posture of Nehemiah's heart through the way that he prays. I see Nehemiah's prayer as I read it. I see it broken down into four parts. The posture of Nehemiah's heart in his prayer. I see it broken into four parts. Reverence, repentance, recollection, and then realignment. So let's look at those four parts really quick. Reverence, right? It's worship. It's knowing who God is. It's knowing who he is. It's surrendering everything to God. When he starts by saying, the God of heaven, great and awesome, keeps his covenant of love. What did we sing about this morning? Right, God's love his faithfulness. Keeps his covenant of love with those who love him, keep his commandments. So Nehemiah starts his posture of prayer with worship. Doesn't start with repentance, doesn't start with the big ask. He postures his heart before God in worship. 
He surrenders. And he says, let your ears be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant. Interesting too, as we read through this prayer, keep in mind how many times your servant or your servants, how many times that Nehemiah uses that language. And juxtapose that against the fact that, that he is a servant to the king of Persia, right? But he's saying, no, the, I'm, I'm your servant, God. Above all else, I'm your servant because of how you relate to your servants and what you've done throughout history for your servants. So he's got that proper posture of worship. Next is repentance. Nehemiah goes on to pray. I confess. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. They've turned away from God. It says they've turned away from the decrees and laws that, we, that you gave your servant Moses. So Nehemiah postures his heart in worship. He places God on the throne, the rightful throne of his heart. And then he looks inward. And he has a proper understanding of who he is. He has a proper understanding of brokenness. Proper understanding of disobedience. Right? In order to shift, when we think of repentance being that 180 shift, right? We're turning towards God. That's how repentance has been described before. So you're walking in one direction and when you repent, you don't only see that this isn't the right way to be traveling, but you turn around and you start walking in the other direction. Well, in order to start walking towards God, we've got to identify what we're walking from. And Nehemiah did that. He repented before God. He said, we have walked away from your decrees, we've walked away from your commands. We've been disobedient. He realizes they walked away from where God had intended them to be. I can't help but think about how this may relate to where we're at as a church not just community covenant, but I'm just saying big C church. Is there something that we can glean from Nehemiah's prayer as he considers you know, the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem, the rebuilding of the spiritual family of Israel? Is there something similar here that we're experiencing? And how important is it to acknowledge all of the missteps in order to turn towards the correct steps? It's something to think about. So he acknowledges that they, they walked away from the decrees and laws that, that, that God had given through his servant Moses. Thirdly, there's recollection. He remembers. He remembers the instruction that God gave, again, your servant Moses saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. I believe that's from Deuteronomy. That he's quoting, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, and even if your exiled people are the farthest horizon, I will gather them. I'll bring them to the place that I've chosen. 
They are your servants and your people who you redeemed by your great strength in your mighty hand. So he's repenting. He's acknowledging like, hey, God, we, we drifted away. We moved away. And he says, me and my father's household included, we drifted away. But now we're at this point where we want to repent. We're going to turn back towards you. And as we turn back towards you, we're going to remember that same promise that you gave to your servant Moses for your servants, saying that I will gather them up. They are your servants and your people who you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. So he's recalling these stories. He's recalling these narratives that were passed on verbally as a reminder of what God could do. Lastly, there's, there's realignment. He then pleads to God. He says, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this, your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of his man. Boom, I was the cupbearer, right? He steps up to that threshold. So now, Nehemiah has prepared to step into a space that he, we'll find out in chapter two, he was afraid to step into the, that space. Over and over in chapter two it's of the story where he, he then enters, or the king sees that he's saddened. He has that dialogue with the king. You'll see that he was afraid. It says it over and over again. But Nehemiah prepares himself in prayer. He worships, he repents, he remembers recollects, then he returns. He turns toward, he turns back toward God. He realigns his heart with God's heart. And he asks God for the strength and the courage to step into that space, to ask what he knows he needs to ask the king, full of fear, right? So Nehemiah prayerfully surrendered to God to be sure that his plan aligned with God's plan. Nehemiah prayerfully surrendered to God to be sure that his plan aligned with God's plan. We can glean from Nehemiah's prayer, Nehemiah's prayer life, a proper posture of our hearts before God when we find ourselves maybe at our own threshold about to step into a space or knowing where God is calling us how God is calling us to serve. Maybe sensing how God is continuing to move through history, how God is going to continue to restore his kingdom. We prepare through prayer. It leads us to that point. How can that relate to us today as a church? We, we've said, CCC has said, you know, God is up to something. We feel like God is up to something. God is stirring we're not sitting back with a bin of popcorn watching it like it's a movie, right? God's inviting us into this. Unlike this story here, we're not, we're not just sitting back wondering, God, what's next? No, we want to be a part of God's will. We want to be a part of God's kingdom here on earth. We realize, that's all that we've studied, we've realized his kingdom is here. He has called us. He has purposed us. He has equipped us. 
And I want, we want to be a part of what God's doing. That's what, that's what Nehemiah was saying. So I want to be a part of what you're doing. I'm afraid to step into this. I see what you're doing. I sense what you're doing. It's stirring within me. And what does Nehemiah, how does his posture, how does he close out his prayer as he's realigning with God? He's saying all these things. You're God, worthy of my worship. I'm a sinner. I'm broken. I've betrayed you. I'm now turning towards you. And I'm remembering how you restore, how you forgive. And lastly, he says, but I'm not stepping through this threshold. I'm not stepping into this space unless you are going before me. Grant me favor. This isn't going to work without you. I need you, right? He's realigning and he's showing his reliance on God. Nehemiah surrendered to be used by God. Right, he's a cupbearer to the king. He's in the council of the king. He's in the lap of luxury in the king's winter palace in Susa, right? He surrendered so much to be used by God. And Jesus says that we're to do the same. What are some of the things that we may need to learn to surrender? What are some of the, those things that keep us from stepping into that space? That maybe even keeps us from praying prayers like Nehemiah prayed. For as much as we say as a church that God is up to something, that we sense a stirring, maybe this past year, 2020, has given us eyes to see things differently inside the church, outside of the church, or relationships. For as much as we say that, we should be praying prayers like Nehemiah prayed in chapter one here, right? About to step into that space. What are some of the things we may need to learn to surrender? Maybe our understanding, maybe our logic, maybe our expectations, maybe our own comfort, our own success. Maybe some really deeply rooted things like our pride, maybe our fears. Maybe our own reputation. We'll see later in the story. Nehemiah, his reputation gets destroyed. His character gets destroyed. What are some of the things that keep us from prayerfully surrendering to be sure that our plan aligns with God's plan? And there's a difference between having some of these things and holding on to these things. Right? We can still have these things without holding on to them, without being ready to give them over to God when he calls us to. But is it possible to hold on to these things? And still join in God's mission? It's a question we need to ask ourselves. How does holding on to these things affect our ability even for compassion for others? Nehemiah's heart broke for God and it broke for others. Remember in Matthew 22, the greatest commandment, right? There's nothing self-serving about the greatest commandment. Matthew 22, 30, 36, where it says, 
Jesus is asked, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, we know this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. The first and greatest commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. There's nothing self-serving there. It's all surrender. Much like Nehemiah did. Praying that prayer of surrender. For as much as we think we say that God is up to something here at CCC, we should be praying that prayer. Prayerfully surrender in order to be used by God. Jesus said in Luke 14, 33, in the same way, those of you, those of you who do not give up everything, everything, Craig said this last week, you know, if you look up the Greek for the word everything, do you know what it means, right? Everything. Jesus is saying everything. Those of you who do not give up everything, everything you have cannot be my disciples. Do you believe that when Jesus said those words that he meant it? I do. Nehemiah knew that. In fact, I think Nehemiah was so in tune with God's heart that it wasn't even work for him to give it up. God, that's where I want to be. Where I don't have to calculate what I'll be giving up or calculate how much I have to let go in order to align myself with your will, God. I just want it to be my nature. This is where you're calling me to step through. I might be afraid. I might not understand. I might be leaving. It might be really uncomfortable, but God, you know what? If that's where you are, that's where I want to be. If that's where you are, then that's where I want to be. In closing, is just that. That's what I want to say. That we want to be a church that is open to the will of God. Amen? And it's easy, would be easy for us to sit back, sort of let things unfold. But what we learn from the, the story of Nehemiah is that when God puts this passion and this stirring in our hearts, we respond in prayer. But we respond. We respond in worship. We respond in repentance. We respond by recalling who God was. That's what we're doing as we study this book. We're remembering and we're, we're, we're seeing how God's worked through history. And then we realign our hearts with his. I pray that we do that. For, for anyone who, who may have heard this history for the first time or maybe be, would be tuning in for the first time. You know, it can sound like a lot of giving up. It can sound pretty drab, right? This, this the, the, the walk of the Christian, the sur surrendering, giving up, repenting. But what we know is that on the other side of that is a joy in being a part of God's will being a part of his mission here on earth, there's a joy that, that can't be found anywhere else. There's healing in those moments as well.
need to remember that. We need to remember to tune our hearts towards the heart of God. And we need to prayerfully, prayerfully, prayerfully seek his will. Amen? Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for these stories. God, little glimpses into history. God, let us not forget that this is the, the Bible and the stories of the Old Testament, the story of Nehemiah. It's not just some tale. It's not just lore. It's truth. It's an account of your faithfulness and your love in history. God, I pray that as we look back, you know, 500 BC and we study this story, God, I pray that you will also give us, remind us of our own stories. God, you're a generational God. Give us uh, hearts that are aware to how you're working in our lives even here and now, that we can share our own stories. A community covenant can share our stories. And it's not just something that's far off in the past. As amazing as it is, as it was then, God, God, you're working here and now in our lives. Forgive us for the times that we do not remember that. God, I pray that your spirit stirs in us in a way that we become a community of believers that not only share your story in scripture, but our story, our testimony of the one true living God working in our lives through the thick and the thin, through the heartache and through the celebration. But God, would you make us a praying church? Let us glean that from this story this morning. That as you're on the move, as you're up to something, that we turn to you. That we posture our hearts towards yours. That we align our hearts with yours. So that we can see your kingdom flourish until Christ comes again. What a joy it is to be a part of that. We thank you for your son Jesus. Who makes it all possible. We pray these things in his name. Amen.